It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you'll be swept off to. That's what Gandalf the Grey told Frodo Baggins at the beginning of their adventure. Have you ever felt like life is like that road? Like you've been swept away, you don't know where you're going, you don't know where to put your feet to hold on? Well, that's what we're here for today. We're here to talk about the Wildwood, where all the crazy things happen, where all the wild stuff happens, and you just don't know which direction to go. Today, I'm going to bring you some words from the Wildwood that'll help you keep your feet. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast. I hope you had an amazing week. I hope you had a chance to look back over your notes, reflect a little bit on Ecclesiastes 7 as we finished up last week. You know, through the first seven chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon goes around and around about how unfair life is. It's amazing that if you listen to the people around you, listen to your friends, your family, your co-workers, you're going to hear the very same types of complaints that Solomon made. Uh, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Uh, even though I have all of this stuff, I don't seem to be as happy as other people. How come good things don't come my way and the crooks get richer and richer? I hear those types of things even in my job, even where I work. And I thought, wow, Solomon was just like us. He had lived a life where he had kind of gotten away from God. He had kind of forgotten God's rules. He had kind of neglected all of the things that David taught him to do in his relationship with God. And now he was becoming this person of complaints. Yes, he was a great king. He had tremendous wealth. He had limitless access to pleasure. All of the things that a human being could want, he already had. But you know what? His cynicism had blinded him to the um, to the real reality of where he was with God. All of the things he had done, all of the poor choices he had made had blinded him to exactly what God was trying to show him. In that very same way, our lives sometimes blind us to just how good God can be if we let him in control of our life. If we choose to say, hey, life is not unfair, life is simply life, but look at all that God is doing for me. Too many times we spend our nights in front of the TV watching the news, murders, um, theft, all of the terrible things that are happening, the wars that are happening around our world, the horrible acts that people commit. And we think, how can there be a good God if all these things keep happening? Don't forget, people, God didn't start this mess. We did. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve decided they wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to pursue their own path to quote-unquote godliness. Well, guess what? This is the world we live in. So I guess what you can say is we need a reality check. We need to really step back, look at the world, see why it is the way it is so that we know how we can live a life that goes around all this mess that's happening. So tonight, let's take a look at that. Is the world fair? No, absolutely not. Those who have wealth and power have access to all the things that we all want, the things we all see on television, all of the, the pictures we see of the rich and famous or the bold and the beautiful or whatever you happen to be watching at the time. 
Does everybody get what they deserve in this life? Does everybody get all of the breaks, all of the opportunities? Does everybody get the chance to be super successful? No, they just don't. You know what? It's not a crime to say all of us have a chance to have a good life. But not all of us are meant to be millionaires or billionaires. We're not meant to be successful all the time. Sometimes it is the hard breaks in life that make us the soft people that can compassionately reach out to those around us. Now, if you want to have this happy, useful, congenial life, I think there are four directives that you have to obey. They're right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, four directives that will help you get this life. If you want a life that is steady, content, and, and, and useful in the service of God, the first thing I want you to see is this, you need to stay where the blessing is. Now, the interesting thing is a lot of people think that if they want to get ahead in life, they've got to escape their church. They have to get away from the Bible, get away from this God who doesn't want us to do anything we want to do. They think that if we go out there in the world and we, we just live our life at 110 miles an hour, that we're going to be happy. But guess what? There is a lot to be said for staying where the blessing of God's presence is. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Who is like the wise person and who knows the interpretation of the matter? Solomon was the wisest man who's ever lived. He was the man who understood it. Now his bitterness and anger overshadowed that, made him often blind to the things that he saw, but he was wise. He understood what was happening around him. He even understood why his own life was falling apart. God told him, because you disobeyed me, because you went after these false gods of all of your wives and concubines, because you did all the things I told you not to do, I am going to take the kingdom out of your hands. That weighed heavily on Solomon's heart. It did. Go on in Ecclesiastes 8.1. A man's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. Even though our lives are tough, when we see where God is, what God is doing, how God is acting, it can lighten the load. It lets me know that no matter how rough it is, the Lord is still by my side. He is still Yahweh Yairah, the God who provides on the mountain. He is still that God. But we have to have the wisdom to understand that not everything is going to be pleasant. Not everything is going to go the way we wanted to. Verse 2 says this, keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence. Don't be in a hurry to leave the presence of the king and don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. The king has the right to do anything he wants. Now understand, Solomon knows he's going to lose the kingdom. He is going to grow old. He is going to die. And upon his death, the kingdom that he inherited from David, the kingdom that he believed he had built by his own sweat, blood, and intelligence was going to be ripped from his family because of his sin against God. He was saying the things that a king would say. You know, go where the king is. Listen to the king. Obey the king. Don't be in a hurry to leave the presence of the king. Don't persist in a bad cause, since the king will do anything he wants to do. For the king's word, I like this, for the king's word is authoritative. 
he understood that as a king, there was authority behind him. What he didn't seem to understand is that God is the king. He is the king of all things. And his word is authoritative. His word cannot be rebuked or overturned or, or turned aside. And who can say to the king, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful. And a wise heart knows the right time and the right way to do a thing. Such great wisdom from him if we would just understand the direction he's coming from. Consider the very first part. It says, you know, keep the king's command because of your oath before God. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about 1 Chronicles 29, 22 through 25. I want to give you these background passages. I want you to understand what Solomon is saying why he's saying it, what he's referring to, because in his day, everybody would have understood what he said. But we don't because we are so far removed from kings and rulers, and we're so far removed from the days of Solomon, Solomon the king. So First Chronicles 29, 22-25, And they ate and drank before Yahweh on the day with great gladness. This is the day when he becomes the king. And they made Solomon the son of David, king the second time, and they anointed him as prince of Yahweh and Zadok as the priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of Yahweh as king in place of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him, all the leaders and the mighty men, and also the other sons of King David pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. And Yahweh made Solomon very great in the sight of all of Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had been on any king before in Israel. Now you see, when he became the king, everyone swore allegiance. Here he is at the end. He's done what is wrong in God's sight. He knows he's going to lose the kingdom, but he's making this plea, this thing that's eating at him. Hey, stay faithful to the king. You swore before God you were going to stay faithful to me. Stay faithful to me, even though Solomon knows he doesn't deserve it. He knows he broke the covenant with God, that he violated God's rules, and that's why he's losing the kingdom. Sometimes, everybody, we understand that the bad things that happen in our lives happen because we are where we are not supposed to be, doing the things that we are not supposed to be doing. It's hard to say because every one of us has been there. Every single person who was listening to my voice knows we have disobeyed God and we have brought grief into our lives. We have brought painful experiences into ourselves, into our families' lives. And we know it's because we didn't listen. Had we listened to the king, we would be fine. But we did not. So that's what he's talking about when he says, keep the king's commands because of your oath before God. And so we understand where that is. But if you go on down a little bit, he says the one who keeps the command will not experience anything harmful. What's he talking about there? There he's talking about Romans chapter 13, 5 through 7. Now Solomon, of course, was dead long before the apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans. But he is giving us an image in the book of Romans of exactly what Solomon was talking about. Romans 13, 5 through 7. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. There it is. We are in subjection. We are in obedience to those people who are over us. You know, when, when it says, pray for those in authority over you, that it may go well with you. 
It says that you pray for the leader of your country, even if you don't like him, even if you think the king or the president is a jerk. You still pray for them because as the president prospers, the nation prospers. We pray for our presidents and our senators and our congresspeople. We pray for them even though we may not always agree with them, but we pray that God will influence them and use them to lead the country in the way it should go so that the whole country can prosper, so that we can all be kept safe and sound. That's why we do it. So therefore, don't be in subjection just to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are mission, are sorry, are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them: taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. We show these types of obedience, these types of subjection. We go ahead and meet these civic obligations because it is fitting for us as Christians to do so. Now, a lot of people will say, no, I'm going to protest. I'm going to object. I'm not going to pay this, not pay that. In fact, I'm just going to go out and start um shoplifting from stores and I'm going to start stealing what isn't mine and I don't care how anybody else is hurt by my actions I'm just going to do what's best for me that's exactly what Paul is trying to avoid he's trying to avoid us getting in the mentality of saying because I don't agree with the government (laughs) definitely the people in Israel did not agree with the Roman authorities at all That was just a done thing. The zealots were out there to overthrow the Romans and drive them out. And because of that, they would do things which were illegal, but they would do it for the sake of driving out these enemies of Israel. So when he talks about it, the one who keeps the command will not experience anything harmful. And a wise heart knows the right time and the right way to do a thing. And that is true. Sometimes there's a time to be silent, a time to hold your tongue. A time not to press the issue. Other times there's a time to speak when speaking can be done intelligently and in a beneficial manner. So basically that's what he's talking about right here in the very first part. Stay where the blessing is, where the blessing is peace, where the blessing is cooperation. Stay where the blessing is, Lord, I'm going to do what you tell me. Even if I don't fully understand why I have to do this, I'm going to do it because you said it, because you said if I do this, it will go well with me. Well, that's the first thing I want to look at, the first directive. The second directive is right here, starting at verse 6. Do not be impatient. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to be just a little bit impatient. Maybe it's my Scotch-Irish heritage or something else. But I can be impatient when I want to do something that's right, when I want to see changes that are necessary. I get upset with the very slow pace at which a lot of things go. But the warning here from Ecclesiastes 8.6, don't be impatient. Look at it. For every activity, there is a right time and a right procedure. Even though man's troubles are heavy on him, even though the the situation in our culture bears on you, you have to wait for the right time, the right place to say what you need to say. Yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell him what will happen? Who can tell us the future? Who can foretell things? No one has authority over the wind to restrain it. And there is no authority over the day of death. 
I am sorry to all the doctors and all the wonderful surgeons out there. The work you do is amazing. But when it is your time to die, you are going to die. There's two dates set in eternity. The day you are born and the day you die. You cannot change either one. All you can do is live between those two dates. So it's what he says. No one has authority over the wind. You can't keep the wind from blowing and you can't keep death from coming. He says... Though there, there is no furlough in battle, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. So even though, even though you are trying to look for some break in all of this, life is just going to keep happening. It's going to keep going on. And then with Al said, going to verse 9, All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when no man has authority over another to his harm. In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and they went from the holy place and they were praised in the city where they did so. This too is futile because the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly and the heart of the people is filled with the desire to commit crime. If I see that you can get away with anything, am I not going to be tempted to do that? If I see my friends stealing and robbing and 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 hitting people for no reason you know slapping them on the back of the head and all this other craziness that we see if i see that there's no penalty for that that no one's going to punish me if i see that i can go shoplift from a store and no one's going to even lift a hand to stop me of course i'm going to be tempted to do that and that is terrible for a society we see the impact that that is having on us today so it says this too is futile because the sentence against a criminal act is not carried out quickly. The heart of the people is filled with the desire to commit crime. Although a sinner commits crime a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. So see, see the, the wicked person can have all the money, all the, all the success, all the fame, all of the things. But it goes well for the God-fearing person because God sees them. God respects them. They are reverent before their creator. Verse 13, verse 13 says it. However, it will not go well with the wicked and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow for they are not reverent before God. So it says even though it seems like the wicked are getting away with stuff, they're not getting away with anything. God sees, God remembers all of those acts that are written down in those books that will come out on the day of judgment. Here's a great quote I found. Um, it's, it's an amazing quote, actually. It says this, Temporal patience does not eliminate eternal judgment. Uh, just a fantastic statement. Temporal patience, just because God is patient in this day and age, that does not eliminate the reality of eternal judgment. You can, you can think that your sentence has been postponed all the way through life. You can keep that money, keep those looks, keep that job, keep all those things, and then when you get right down to it, the minute you die, you inherit that eternal judgment. Matthew 25, 41 through 46. Here's a long story, a story that we know well, but I want to tell it to you to highlight this point. It says, then he will go to those on his left. Now he's talking about the day of judgment. He has said to the righteous, 
Go ahead and go into the kingdom I prepared for you. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Yeah, Jesus, if I had seen you, I would definitely come over and help you out. You mean, I know you're the son of God. You are God himself. So, of course, I would help. Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these You did not do it to me. When we ignore the needs of those around us, especially those in our own churches, those who are hurting, those who are suffering, there are many places in this world where if you are a Christian, you can lose your job. If you are a Christian, your family can abandon you. If you are a Christian, you can be hunted down and brutalized and murdered all because your allegiance does not go to the right God. It happens every day. Look at the American media. Go online. Look day after day after day. More and more articles about why the church is dead, why the church is dying, why the church has no more power. Amazing to me. The last guy that said that, that said God was dead. Yeah, Friedrich Nietzsche was his name. Nietzsche said, yeah, God's dead, so we don't have to worry about it. Well, guess what? The last time I checked, Friedrich Nietzsche is dead and God is still on the throne. Now, can I get an amen from that? You can say whatever you want to about God, but God is still there. And that's exactly what's happening in the world. They're trying to destroy all of these things because they don't want to be confronted with the reality that you see right here. That, that right here says it all. He says this, Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it not to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And you're saying, now wait a second. Well, that's not fair. That's not right. You can't, you can't send me to hell just because uh, I didn't go to this church or that church or because I didn't um, worship or open this book or, or believe in this name. You have to respect my choices, my God, my way of doing things. No, that's not it. Truth is singular. There is a God. There is one way to salvation. There is a book of judgment and that book of life on top of it. If your name is not there, as one who has believed and trusted in Jesus Christ, you will face punishment because you have chosen not to believe. It's not because you didn't know. You knew. You knew in the deepest part of your heart that there was a God And you chose not to look at it. You chose not to see it. And it says that on that day, you will be judged. Even though you died filthy, stinking, rich, successful, your name heralded, your your, your death mourned by millions, you still have to face the eternal God of the universe on that day. So it says they will not go well for the wicked back there in Ecclesiastes, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they were not reverent before God. Consider one more story. 
One more story. Luke 16, 24 through 31. And he called out, this is Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus had nothing. The rich man had everything. They both die. Isn't that amazing? Solomon got one thing right. Whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a king or a pauper, everybody dies. That's just the reality of the universe. But right here in verse 24, And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. The difference? One had faith in Almighty God, the other had faith in his own wealth. And it said this, and besides all this, between us, between you and, and us, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Once you die, there is an eternal gulf of separation that cannot be crossed. No matter how many prayers are said for you, no matter how many candles are lit for you, if you die in your sin, you cannot ever be brought into heaven because it was your choice to die that way. It was your choice to let yourself go into eternity unprepared. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. You know, send Lazarus, who's already dead. I don't quite know how that would work. Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, I like this, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if someone comes from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if you do not, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, which every Jew had been taught to listen to and respect, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now there's a prophetic statement. Even if Jesus rose from the dead, presented himself alive, showed himself to the entire city of Jerusalem, people still won't believe. Even if you look at all the evidence that the Bible presents for who Jesus was, who he is, that he reigns from heaven, they still will not believe. And therefore, it's their choice to go into eternity unprepared. Crazy, I know. It's crazy. So let's finish up with that one. So, we said right there, do not be impatient. The next thing I want you to look at is right here. I'm going to use my favorite phrase in Latin, Ecclesiastes 8.14. You need to carpe diem. You need to seize the day, seize the moment, the opportunity, because you never know when it's going to come around again. 8.14. There is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is futile. Okay, consider Solomon again. He is a king. He is considered a righteous king. He was considered a king who heard from God. But he had no joy. He had no peace because he had done the wrong things. So he thinks it's futile to do the right thing because the people who do the right thing 
don't always get it right now, here and now in this life. Verse 15, so I commended enjoyment because there is nothing better for a man under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will, accomp this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. So he's saying basically, hey, go out there, eat, drink, be joyful, because tomorrow you just might die. That is not, my friends, a good way to live. But if you're the king and you've transgressed God's laws, you've done what you shouldn't do, your heart has no peace, your heart knows no joy because you're walking apart from God, this is exactly the type of insanity you would do. Now Solomon has already said this four times already in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says it here in chapter 8. He will say it one more time in chapter 9. What is he really saying? What's he really trying to get across to us? Well, let's take a look at it. 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't trust in the riches. But on God, trust the God who doesn't change. He says there's no shadow of turning in him. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If you look at it, the Christian, even if he has a meager job, meager home, his life is filled with peace, joy, filled with worship, filled with encouragement, hope, the fellowship of the saints that encourages us to keep going on. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And truly life is serving God, being one of God's servants, being one of his people, bringing that light into the darkness. And I think this is the type of life that Solomon could have had. He could have had this life that Paul is talking about to Timothy, but he didn't. He chose to use everything for himself, pour all that wealth and into his own life, into his own enjoyment, and making him this shallow, uh, heartless man. And it's pretty, pretty terrible, actually. The very last thing I want you to see uh, as we finish up our book and as we finish up chapter 8 of the book, I should say, do not get frustrated. And this is so hard to do because it is so easy to turn on the TV and be frustrated with the world, frustrated with what we call justice, frustrated with what we call fairness. It's just the whole world seems like it's bent on destroying itself and we just can't understand what's happening. Ecclesiastes, I'll learn to talk one day. Ecclesiastes 8.16, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that man is unable to discover this work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. This is a true confession of Solomon, king of Israel. I have tried my whole life to understand why God does what he does, how he makes these decisions, why some prosper, why some don't. The Bible says that God causes the rain 
the refreshing rain, the building rain, to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he causes the sun to shine down on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's almost like here's all these blessings that God gives to the human race, irregardless of whether or not they are his servants. Remember, we are not all children of God until by Christ we are adopted into his family. But he gives the same blessings, the same goodness to all human beings. So he says, I can't understand it. I'm the wisest man in the world. How come I don't get this? He forgot the words of Isaiah 40, verse 28. Isaiah 40, 28. Now this, would, this prophecy would have come along long after Solomon's death. But the prophet was speaking from God. And if only, if only Solomon could have listened, he would have heard these words from God Almighty. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Right there. Isaiah says it. He says, yet God is all of these things, this amazing thing. But his wisdom sometimes is unsearchable. We don't quite see it. And that's because we are limited. We are little bitty temporal beings that might live 20 years 30 years, 50 years, 70 years, if you're lucky, 100 years. You might live 100 years. And what is that in the scope of the human race? Nothing. It's a blip. It's a moment in time that we are born, live, and die. So of course we can't understand what God's doing. God sees all of eternity laid out at one time. He sees the end and the beginning. In fact, he says that to the prophets. He says, I am the God who tells you what's going to happen before we ever get there. How is that possible? Because he's going to make it happen. He sees it because it is his will to do it. Consider Romans 11, 33 through 34. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of Yahweh, or who has been his counselor? That's what I go to when I don't understand the world, when I don't understand the terrible, horrible things that people do, when I don't understand the terrible things that people say to each other, the harmful, hurtful ways that they behave. I just I look at them and I, I, I want to cry out, how is this possible? How can people be like this? And then I hear a voice in the back of my head. Hey, dummy, what do you think the word sin means? What do you think sin is? If not all of this insanity, if not all of these actions taken by people who under normal circumstances could never do such terrible, horrible things. I think Solomon should have paid attention. He was accidentally telling us these four incredible things that we had to learn. We had to learn um, definitely that, um, sorry, four, these four directives that he was giving us are things that we need to put into effect. We need to stay where the blessing is. If we are blessed by where God has put us and what he's doing, okay, don't seek for the more money. Don't seek for the higher praise and glory. Just Stay in the blessing. And if the blessing takes you up the ladder, it takes you up the ladder. If it takes you to a new height or a new place, that's good. Otherwise, bloom where you are planted. Don't be impatient. 
God sees things not in months, years, or decades, but in millennia. He sees, he told Abraham, you guys are going to be in bondage 400 years, long before they ever had to go there during the famine, long before they ever got trapped in that foreign country. He told them what was going to happen so they'd be ready. When they were taken into captivity, he said, hey, go, build homes, have children, raise crops, because you're going to be there 70 years. 70 years, you're going to weep, you're going to cry, you're going to remember the goodness of Israel, and then when you're done serving your time, I'm going to bring you home and bless you again. God knows what's going to happen. So don't be impatient. Let it come when it comes. And the very last thing is, you have to carpe diem. you got to grab the moment. Whatever's happening, don't, don't let it slip by. But enjoy that moment. Enjoy that time of fellowship. Enjoy that time on Sunday morning so that ultimately you don't wind up frustrated. You, you have the joy in the moment. You have the fellowship of the saints. So don't get frustrated. God is at work. You don't have to understand 100% of everything to simply know that God is in charge. There's a, a sign in my, in my home, and it says, you know, don't worry about tomorrow because God's already there. And that is the truth. The Lord is already there. I hope you learned something from our study today. I hope it maybe triggered something in your imagination. Maybe it touched on some of the things that you are worried about, that you're upset about, that you, you just don't know exactly how to, how to explain having faith in a God that everyone has turned their back on. It's because they're not looking. They're not paying attention. But you be that light. You be, in the, you be coming out of the darkness. You show people that God is doing things not in days, weeks, months, or years, but in millennia, and that there will be a punishment. The temporal success of the wicked, the temporal success of the evil or the unrighteous, it will end. They will pay for eternity for their sins. But if you put your faith in Christ, even though we all deserve to be punished for the lives that we have lived and for the decisions that we have made and for the things that have come out of our mouth and for the hardness of our hearts. Even though we deserve that punishment, God has saved us. Let that hold you through this week. May the Lord hold you in his hand. May he show you his love. May he show you his heart when you seek it out in his word. And until we talk again next week, God bless and be safe. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in today to listening to our programs. We appreciate your attention. We present this for you as a way of building up God's people, giving you hope in these dark days. They are presented to you commercial free. We don't solicit money from any companies, Bible organizations, or churches. We put it out there because we believe wholeheartedly that the Word of God is the only hope this country or any country could have. Because we present it to you commercial free, we do ask you to search your heart. If you feel the need to support us in any way, it, it, could, be a, it could be a love offering, a gift, send me enough for a cup of coffee. I'd really appreciate it. You can send all support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, Richard Stidham at Box 1321. Baytown, Texas, 77521, and everything you send to us will be used to keep this podcast 
on the air. Have a great day. God bless. And remember, keep looking up. Our salvation is drawing near.